two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry, I could not travel both. And be one traveler, long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. And then I took the other, just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for that, the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. And I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Just a little poem I wrote this morning. <laughs> Robert Frost, The Road Less Traveled. This morning is a morning for Ellie and Wade and Cole. Where did Amelia go? Amelia and Ava and Caitlin. If you don't know, that's who in just a few moments will be up here behind me and in front of you getting baptized. So this morning, this is a special day in the life of Grace Point, but it's especially important for you guys. And so what we are excited to do is to celebrate you, but also to talk this morning as a people about the reality that we are people who have choices to make and who have roads in front of us. This morning, I want to talk about the roads that diverge for those who place their faith in Christ. And this morning, I'm not talking about the road of whether I'm going to choose to follow Christ or not. And this is, this is important. The roads that you have the choice of following is not whether I'm going to be a follower of Christ, but how I'm going to follow Christ. Two very different things. Two very different things. Not whether I'm going to, but having made the decision to follow Christ, the question becomes, how do I follow him? So there's two roads that diverge in a wood for you. There's a one road that's more traveled by, by people who place their faith in Christ. The one that is more traveled by is a, is a road that I'm going to call the, the path of promised obedience, where people will do the best that they can and basically come into a faith relationship with Jesus and give to him the very best of your future. And say, God, I'm going to promise to you. I'm going to bring with me a promise. My promise for future is that I'm going to obey you the best that I can. I'm going to give to you the best energies that I have. I'm going to promise you, I'm going to come with promise, that my future life is going to be better than my past because you have saved me. And in grateful thanks for that, I'm going to promise you the very best that I can give you in the future. That is the road most traveled. But there's another path in the wood, and it's a path, path least traveled. It's a path not where you bring a promise with you, 
but a path where you find a promise from God already exists. It's a path of promise, not a path with promise. It's a path of promise. It's a path where you realize what God has already done for you is he has promised to you a kind of blessing that is something that you can discover on this path, on this way. It's a path in which you realize that your future isn't determined by your strength of character, your resolve, your dedication, your promises that you bring with you. It's a very different path. It's a path of promise in which as I walk it, I discover what God has already promised for me. That, that is the path in where you will find life. The other path is a path where you will find slavery and joyless living and struggle. It's a path, and these two options, these two paths were painted for us a long time ago by a guy named Paul. He was an apostle. He was an early follower of Jesus. The early church wrestled with this problem of now that I come to faith, how do I walk in it? What does it look like for me to walk in faith now that I have come to faith? And what Paul did for us is he wrote in the early church, he wrote a letter to a church in Galatia. And this is where we are in this series called Free From That. And I know we're having some technical difficulties. We'll just forget that this morning and just let that screen black and I'll be fine. I hope you'll be fine as well. But we'll get through that, all right? But Paul wrote this letter to the, the early church in Galatia. And what he was trying to, to give to them is clarity for how they will walk with Christ and how they will follow Christ going forward. And it's a place that I'd love to take you to. If you have a Bible with you, I want, you to invite, I want to invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 3. For the next few minutes, I want to just share with you some explanation of what Paul was writing because it has bearing on what these young people are going to be doing up here and maybe for you, where you're at in your own life as well. But Galatians chapter 3, um, if you don't own a Bible, there's a Bible in the chair near you, by the way. That's our gift to you. I want to let you take that home with you. You can also just open your phone, whatever it might be. You can find Galatians chapter 3. It's in the right two-thirds of your Bible. Um, and as you're turning there, I'm going to say this. We're going to start in verse 17 in a minute. But I just want to say this first. This is one of the more technical sections of writing that Paul has. So I have no illusions of having two too complex a message this morning. I'm going bigger picture. I'm going bigger picture to try to carry the theme of what Paul is writing. In order to do that, I need to start this way. But before we start reading the text, I want to make sure that we understand how, what, what is in Paul's mind. When he is about to write, and we're going to see this in verse 17 in a minute, he's going to assume some knowledge in the room. He's going to assume that the people in the room have some working knowledge of how we relate to God in the first place. And it's going to be based off of this idea of called a covenant. Covenants are funny things. We almost never use them in today's language, do we? But covenants are actually ways that people relate to people. I'm going to put it that way. And particularly in faith, it's ways we relate to God. Now, we relate to different people in different ways, right? You relate to your parents in one way, and you relate to your school friends in another way. You relate to your teachers in a different way. Relate to your coaches in a different way, right? You don't relate to each group that you know the same. In a way, you have an unspoken covenant or way of relating to different people, different age groups, and different power people in your life, just the way it works. Those I'm going to call a covenant. 
kind of agree, this is how I get along with these people, and this is how I get along with these people, and that kind of thing. In a way, that's how a covenant is with God. How is it that we relate one to another? And a long time ago, and the Bible records this in Genesis, a long time ago, God made a covenant with a guy named Abraham. This covenant, and he described how are we going to relate to one another. This covenant was one that God cut or made with Abraham that began to define the very foundation of how the Jewish people in particular for all time would relate to God. I want to take you back to that moment because it's really wild. In Genesis, you don't need to turn here, but just so you know, in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17, God makes this covenant with Abraham. And he actually one night in Genesis 15, it's recorded this way. He takes Abraham up, I suppose, to some kind of hillside. And he asks Abraham to bring him some animals. And Abraham brings him these animals, and he asks him to cut them in half, which is kind of odd. So they cut them in half, and if you can imagine now Abraham here and the animals cut in half on either side, late in the evening, God brings a cloud down over Abraham, so he falls asleep. And what God does is in the form of a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch, God himself passes through the path that is forged by these two animals being on either side. That's kind of weird, isn't it? Now, why would that happen? The reason for that is because in the ancient Near East, that is how one signs a covenant. There's no notary to go to to make sure that your word is official. And so what you're saying when you walk through, the traditional way of doing this is if I were to buy a house from you or a car from you, we might do that. And then we together would walk through these animals that were cut aside. And the reason for that is what we are saying is, if I break my deal with you, may this happen to me. You're allowed to cut me in half if I don't pay my mortgage, all right? Deal? Deal. I'll probably pay my mortgage. What happened in Genesis 15 is God did that alone. He put Abraham to sleep and he gave him some promises that he would give him a land that he would give him seed or people who would follow him, and that he would make Abraham a blessing to all people at all times. And then, just to make sure that the covenant would never be broken, he said, Abraham, instead of both of us walking through here, I have an idea. I know I can't count on you. You take a nap. I'm going to walk through this thing alone. And in doing so, God has put on himself the entire burden of that covenant or commitment. He promised to Abraham in an unconditional way that from this point forward, Abraham, I alone am responsible to fulfill the demands of this covenant. I will bring to you land. I will bring to you seed, and I will make you a blessing to all people. That moment became the, the foundational way that the Jewish people related to God from the Old Testament on forward. About 430 years later, another age came upon people in this ancient Near East time, the age of the law. That's marked by another covenant called the Mosaic Covenant. The Mosaic Covenant kind of set the rules for how people should act. The Mosaic Covenant was different than the Abrahamic Covenant. The Mosaic Covenant said, here are the rules for obedience. When you obey, you'll be blessed. And when you disobey, you'll be cursed. That's what it said. And that was the way it worked. And so now we have two different covenants, one that seems to be a covenant of promise where God's going to do all the work. But then we have another covenant that marks the people of God for a long, long time in which you must obey to be blessed. And if you disobey, if you step outside the lines, you'll be cursed. And these two paths, if you will, diverge in a wood. <laughs> and they have for centuries diverged in a wood. And they did when Paul is writing this letter to the church in Galatia. 
there was question, challenge around what are we? Are we people of promise who are promised an unconditional covenant from God that we can't be dependent upon to fulfill our own obedience? Or are we people who come with a promise? I promise I'll try not to break the law. I promise I'll give you my very best. I promise I'll come to church. I promise that I'll be faithful in all that I do. I promise, I promise, I promise. Are we people with promises or are we people of promise? And it's this background that leads us to what we understand when Paul writes and what is now in front of you in Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. We're jumping right into this, and he says it this way. He says, what I mean is this. He's trying to clarify these two paths. He says, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. What's he saying? He's saying those two paths that diverged in the wood, the Mosaic law on the one side and the Abrahamic covenant on the other side, those two paths that diverged, you think they diverged. The law doesn't set aside the promise of the Abrahamic covenant. Just because the law came, it doesn't mean that it does away with God's promise. In fact, it actually is here to clarify it. I liken it this way. A couple years ago, we actually got a dog in our family. We got it because I love animals like crazy. No, but anyway, I don't mind animals. They're fine. But we got a dog, and our dog is an outside dog, um, and that's, that works for us, and I think works for her pretty well. She's a happy little pooch, uh, mixed of a golden retriever, I think, and a St. Bernard. So a little, bit of, a little bit of personality disorder, likes to chase hard after things and then slobber for the next eight hours and do nothing but recover from those little surges of runs. So our, Maggie is her name. Maggie hangs out generally in the backyard, and we decided we need to keep Maggie in the backyard in some way, shape, and form. After we had Maggie, right? So we get Maggie, and here's the deal. We, have, we enter into, if you will, a covenant with Maggie. She was not very responsive. But we make some agreements to her to say, listen, you'll be our dog, right? Like, we'll feed you, we'll clean up after you, and all that kind of stuff. Like, we're, gonna, we're just going to do this with you. Now, after a little while, we're like, we need to keep her safe from herself and her own instincts. So if she runs after every truck she sees going up and down the lane, Maggie will be no longer Right? And so we need to put in, and we put in an underground fence to keep Maggie within safe parameters of our yard. And in a way, this is exactly how the Abrahamic and Mosaic Covenant work together. That when Maggie runs outside of the fence, she gets a correction. It is not a shock, to be clear. We don't shock the dog, never would do that. But she does get a correction when she does step over that line. Now, does she continue to be our dog? Yes. Do we continue to keep our commitments to her? Yes. If she steps over the line, do we all of a sudden get rid of the previous commitment we had to her? No. Why does the underground fence exist but to keep her safe and healthy? To which Paul writes essentially the same thing. He's saying, friends, just because you have the law now, it doesn't set aside the basis of your relationship of how it started. Your relationship with your dog started because you cared for her, not because she stayed within the boundary. It wasn't like we looked out and said, as long as Maggie stays in the boundary for the next week, we'll take care of her. It's conditional. Clearly not. To which Paul argues, when the law came and the opportunity to obey or disobey comes, 
Friends, remember, your response to the law doesn't dictate or supersede or take over the fact that God himself walked through these animals and made a promise to you first that through Abraham, God will bring a blessing to you regardless of your obedience or disobedience. The law does not set aside the promise. Paul goes on in verse 18. For if the inheritance, that is the inheritance of the Abrahamic covenant, if it depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. In other words, if by obeying the law, you could get the inheritance of God's blessing, then let's get rid of the Abrahamic covenant and just all obey until we're dead. But that's not what Paul says these laws for. He says, he asks the question, verse 19, it's a great question. Why then was the law given at all? He says it was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promised referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. Again, technical, a little confusing. What is he saying? Here's what I believe he's saying. That the law was a temporary hold. The law was a way to express God's blessing to his people for a period of time. That the law was given so that people would know, just like my dog knows, how to function in a healthy, safe environment. The law became an expression of the character of God to the people who were right in front of him. It became a way that people could engage with God in a covenant relationship with him. But it never was meant to actually give life. Look at verse 21. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. What's he saying here? That if, he's saying, the law isn't opposed to the promises. In other words, just to be clear, obedience, morality, making good choices as a follower of Christ isn't opposed to the promises of God. It's not like God says, listen, I just want you to, to come to faith in Jesus, and then I just want you to, to live as wild and crazy as you can be, because I think that would bring me glory. No. Christ himself said, I came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. So ethics, morality still exist within the Christian world. However, as Paul says here, look again at verse 21, the end of it. If a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. Friends, isn't the law a terrible master? Isn't your own obedience a terrible master? Meaning, who among us can ever even keep the commitments that we want to make ourselves, let alone a commitment to God? And over and over again, I hear of people who take on, you know, 30-day challenges, 60-day challenges, 90-day challenges. I think they're great. They're helpful. They serve a purpose. They accelerate fitness or spiritual development. They play a role. But I always wonder when someone tells me, listen, I'm on a new 90-day whatever. You know, I'm on a new 90-day thing, and I can't wait. I'm always thinking, and maybe you are, what's day 91 look like for you? I mean, honestly, like, what's day 91? let alone what day 101 or 2001. Like, if you keep the 90-day challenge, is that thing going to be a master over you for how long? Like, after 90 days, you're going to need another 90-day and another 90-day and another 90-day until when? It's exhausting, isn't it? You're going to keep that level of fitness until you're 105? You're going to keep that level of commitment getting up at 4 in the morning until you're when? 
They serve a purpose. They can help accelerate us. I'm not all against them. Please hear me. I'm not getting down on things that help us grow. We need some hard things that catalyze change. I get that. But listen, you know this is true. The law is a terrible master, and it will kill you. It will take the joy from your life. That if you relate to God, and friends, especially Ellie, Wade, Cole, Amelia, Ava, Caitlin, especially if you guys think that you're going to relate to God now, how are you going to follow Christ? If it becomes a matter of I'm going to promise to God that I'm going to give him the very best that I have for the rest of my life, I'm telling you, and what Paul is saying, that law will strip from you joy, it will strip from you life, and it will leave you empty, even though you think you're walking in with tremendous potential and power and excitement. What Paul is saying is, you don't walk down the path with a promise to God. You walk down a path of a promise and walk into realizing what God has already promised that you are. He finishes here in verse 22. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. What's he saying there? At the very end, what was promised, again, let me go back to Genesis 15. Animals cut aside, God himself walks through, and he promises to Abraham a blessing. He's saying, what was promised there comes through the ages to you. That what was promised there comes through, and how does it come to you? How do you get it? How do you get that promised blessing from God? He puts it very clearly. Through faith in Jesus Christ, given to those who believe. The end. Not given to those who work, not given to those who come with a promise, but given to those who believe. So I want to say this. If we have our, no, we don't, that's all right. I'm going to say this anyway. We're good. The screen is fine. You, you are, and here's what I would long for you, if you're getting baptized today and those listening, the rest of us, you are a child of promise. You're a child of promise. You're not a child with a promise. Very different. Let me drill that down a little bit. Depending upon which path you take, imagine yourself in that yellow wood from Robert Frost. On the left is this path with a promise. I'm going to make a promise to God. I'm going to be committed. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be, you know, all in. The other side is this path of promise kind of walking into what God would have for you. What does this actually look like? I want to drill down on a couple of things. What these paths look like for how you handle your future, first of all, the path with a promise. For those who walk on that, that path, your future success is based on your obedience and morality. The more faithful you are, the more likely God will be pleased and the more likely life is to break in your direction. The path of a promise. If you take the other path, your future success is guaranteed as God's children. And whatever job you get, whatever person you marry or don't marry, however much money you make or don't make, whoever we are in that way, those are all secondary issues. And hear this one if you can. That your future success is redefined, not as a future to achieve, but as God's promise to keep. Success isn't about your future to achieve, but it's about God's promise to keep for you. I want to think about this for how we handle temptation. For those of us who have walked enough of life in faith, and even those who are just starting, oh, temptation is strong, isn't it, all the time, for all kinds of things. 
If you take the one path with a promise where you commit the best of your life to God, here's what temptation looks like for you. You're going to obey in order to get things from God and other people, particularly approval. You're going to avoid failure and bad outcomes because it's in your best interest. That's what people with a promise do. That's what people who want to follow out of obedience do. The path of promise, the other side, here's how you handle temptation. You're going to obey God because you love God, because what he wants is best for you. Whether other people recognize your obedience is immaterial. Failure. If you're walking this path, those who come committed to God, here's how we handle failure when we're committed to God and, and all in on dedication. The path with a promise. You confess and you repent and then you try harder. Confess, repent, and try harder. And then we set up accountability. We set up schedules, all with the goal of supporting behavior modification. Don't worry, I won't do this again. I'm going to confess, I'm going to repent, and then I'm going to try harder. Because I'm on this path. This is the path to be on. The path of promise on the other side is this. I'm going to confess and I'm going to repent, but then I'm going to rehearse the gospel. I'm going to tell the story of the cross again to myself. I'm going to have friends who support my desire to stay on the path of promise, not just change my behavior. For how you experience joy, imagine this, you're in the wood. How you experience joy. For people on this path who are bringing obedience this is how you get joy, by the way, if you follow the obedience path, the path with a promise. Your joy is surface level related directly to your ability to stay on track with your disciplines. You ebb and flow based on consistency. Joy is never anchored to a restful place in God, but anchored in the shallow waters of your own ability to perform. That's where joy is, in the path a promised obedience to God. In the path of promise, joy is found deeper. Joy is found in God keeping his promise to you as his child. It's anchored deeply to God's character, to his justice, to his truthfulness, and to his presence. Two very different paths to take. The path not just of am I going to follow God or not, but how am I going to follow Christ? Friends, I want to tell you this morning, particularly if you're getting baptized, you are a child of promise. You are a child of promise. You are a child that God has promised eons ago, thousands of years ago, that he will bless you in his relationship with you. Not because you're going to be awesome. Not because you're going to be strong enough never to fail. But because he loves you and he made you. And through faith alone in Christ. Through faith alone in Christ. You get to walk into the promise of God to bless you, regardless of your future obedience or disobedience. A powerful new way to look at what it means for you right now to walk forward in your relationship with God. So friends, we're excited this morning to be able to have a baptism time. And for these folks who I've mentioned, for Ellie, Wade, Cole, Amelia, and, and Ava, and Caitlin, to come forward and get baptized here at GPC. This, uh, for us, is going to be a time of celebration and fun, okay? So I want to encourage, first of all, um, particularly if your family, um, that you, uh, let me say right now, you can disrupt the service. How about that? If you need that permission again, I'm going to say you can disrupt this service. You can get up. You can take pictures. You can stand on your chair carefully. Uh, and if you fall, don't sue us, so maybe don't do that. But listen, 
get in a spot where you can grab a, a picture, a memory, because we want this time to be for these folks getting baptized, a time that they will never forget, and we want to celebrate this time with them. And so we're looking forward to that time of celebration in just a minute with you guys. For those who don't know what we're doing around baptism, baptism is it's just a public expression of a private change of heart, if you will, privately these folks have all confessed their faith in Christ. We're going to hear their video testimonies in a second. Their video testimonies will play while they come up here, and we will baptize them then, uh, you know, following that. But baptism doesn't save you. Baptism doesn't change your relationship with God. It, it's just an outward expression of what internally has already happened there uh, in your heart, okay? So we're going to do that. Does that sound good? Can we have some fun with that? Can we celebrate that this morning with these people? Yeah, we can? Good. All right. 